benvenuto. Hello there and welcome. Welcome to City Breaks Florence Extra, Episode 2. I'm Marion Jones. Welcome, especially if you're a new listener. It strikes me that if you are, you may find the title of the episode somewhat baffling. So let me explain. City Breaks is my podcast series, which aims to bring you all the history and culture that you'd look up for yourself if only you had the time before visiting a foreign city. Or indeed, in some cases, a British city. And City Breaks Florence is the very first series I did, two and a half, nearly three years ago now. But I began to realise you can't sum up Florence even in 19 episodes. And so I'm planning to revisit every city that I've done a series on every now and again, do some extra episodes, keep it current, maybe have some updates about new things. And this is the biggest difference, definitely, definitely, bring some new voices. People who live in Florence, perhaps, or work there, who are in that sense experts and can bring us new perspectives, things that I myself might not know about. And today, most of the episode is going to consist of an interview with Helen Farrell, who's an editor based in Florence, editing a publication all about Florence, and so really well placed to give us all sorts of things that otherwise we wouldn't know. Let me just play you the first, I think it's 18 seconds of the interview, which turned out to be something I wasn't expecting. Listen to this. Hello, thank you for your time. You're very welcome, Marion, and, and, you know, complimenti, as the Italians say. It's uh, it's a very nice podcast series. I was having a listen. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Comprehensive and in-depth. So a lot of things are very superficial about Florence, you know, so it's, yeah. it's nice. Well, I thought it doesn't get much better than this. An actual editor based in actual Florence liked the podcasts. How cool is that? OK, so just before we get into the rest of the interview, let me just tell you a little more about The Florentine. It is, in fact, many things. It is a monthly magazine, which you could have delivered to your doorstep, or in fact to your inbox, if you chose to subscribe. It is also a website full of cultural articles, which make really interesting reading for anybody interested in Florence. Also attached is an online bookshop, where you can buy all sorts of books on Florence, on Tuscany, on Italy more generally. And last but not least, they are sort of a publisher as well. In fact, a number of the books available in the bookshop have come by that route, as has a literary review called FLR, Florence Literary Review, another goodie for anybody interested in Italian literature, in the current cultural scene generally, or indeed, because it's a bilingual publication, just in improving their Italian. More about most of those things later, but for the moment let's just hear what Helen had to say about the Florentine, of course, but also about some of her ideas for things to do in Florence which I hadn't thought of. And the interview, in fact, also includes, wait for it, my very first scoop. Oh yes, something you'll hear here that nobody outside the Florentine itself has been told yet. So, let's get going. I began by asking Helen to tell us a little bit about how the Florentine got started. Sure. So the Florentine um, is the English language news magazine for Florence lovers. And it was established in, well, nearly 15 years ago now by an American couple, Nina and Tony Tucker, who moved to Florence from California and wondered how on earth they could find out what was happening in Florence. They were aware that similar English language magazines and newspapers existed in Paris, in Munich, in Berlin, in other places in Europe. 
And they wondered why in Florence, which a large international community, a magazine like that did not exist. So they got together with the current owners of the magazine, who are two guys from Prato and one guy from Florence. And the guys have carried on the magazine to this day. Anita and Tony are, are still very much involved insofar as they, they're back in California. They left after two years of living in Florence. They regard it as their sort of grandchild, teenager from across the, across the ocean. And, and I came on board eight years ago, and the Florentine is, is now thoroughly a, a teenager, is growing up, having its growing pains, you know, but it serves the international community in Florence. So events, news, everything that's happening in the city for the local international community, and also for Florence lovers who like to stay connected with Florence wherever they are in the world. And, uh, and that stood us in really good stead, obviously, in the last two years during these pandemic times. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting title, News Magazine, because you, you are both, aren't you? You're a news service and a magazine with features, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're both. We, we're a very small team. We're very ambitious. So we, we try to cover all bases as far as we can. So given um, these recent months, we really have switched primarily to service journalism. Uh, whenever there's been a change in legislation we've been there reading these 25 page encyclopedias that come from the Italian government informing you what the new rules and regulations are and we're trying to render that information in English so that's a primary example of of the news coverage that we give Uh, it's to help the community understand what's happening Mm. and then we have a monthly print magazine which is far more in-depth it's it runs on a subscription basis for people all over the world and it's free, though, in the centre of Florence to, to serve the community. So we, we try and, and cover a lot of ground. Mm. I notice you've got sections Art and Culture's one, isn't it, and Food and Wine. So could you give me an example or two from, for example, recent, something recent from the Art and Culture section? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're very into Dante. You know, the 700th anniversary of, of Dante Alighieri's death is coming up on the 14th of September. So a lot of our arts and culture coverage at the moment is centred around that anniversary. Something that happened yesterday, for example, in the, in the Bobbly Gardens was this um, quite incredible street theatre event that, that covered the three canticas of the Divine Comedy. And so we saw uh, this wonderful piece of theatre, iterant theatre in the Bobbly Gardens in Florence. So that's just one example. The wonderful thing about Florence is, you know, it's famous for being the Renaissance city, the cradle of the Renaissance, but it's a very, very contemporary and happening location. I noticed on your listing section, you've got a date, I think it's, it's on the 14th, isn't it, when there's going to be the live readings with Helen Mirren and whatnot, and you've got the link to, for people to get tickets for that, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's just, this is the sort of very high quality uh, event that Florence attracts you know we've, we've got the speaking Dante event that's taking place at Chinamen La, La Compania which is a beautiful a beautiful cultural space not far from from the cathedral from the Duomo and uh, there's a Milan based theatre director who is who is involved in organizing this event which is going to see the likes of uh, yeah Helen Mirren and uh, Ralph Fiennes and other individuals tuning in from wherever they are in the world and reading Canto, the cantos from, from Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, as well as there actually being 
live performers on the stage in that space. So it's a very, another very ambitious event that's coming from Florence. And it's wonderful that we can continue to attract that sort of level of performance to the city. Mm. Just to lower the tone a little bit, I noticed there was an article about Cocktail Week as well. Can you tell us about that? Well, I wouldn't say lowering the tone. No, these are, it's a very high standard. And uh, I think we're very proud that we actually have this level of quality bartendering that's that's coming out of, of the city as well. I mean, it really does show a lot about the vibrancy of a place that you can switch from from a, a theatre event with names like that to these incredible creations that are coming out with fine drinks from, from all over the world. I mean, this is an event that's actually attracting some of the best names in, in the drinks world from internationally. So they're starting it in Florence, and it's the sixth edition of Florence Cocktail Week from the 20th to the 26th of the month. And then they're actually moving it for um, a Christmas edition, a December edition in Venice. So it's wonderful to see that things begin here, but then they actually arrive in other areas of Italy as well. So let's hope we're, we're hoping that we can continue this momentum as a city, you know, that we can mm. continue to inspire as well in other, in other places in Italy. Mm, thank you. Would it be true to say there's quite a, a literary feel to your what you do as well? Because you have a bookshop, don't you? And, and FLR, is that right? The Literary Review? Can you tell us about those a little bit? Yeah, you, you've done your research, Mark. Yeah, we have a very literary vein. I mean, obviously, I'm an editor, so I love reading and, and all of our staff are very passionate about print. You know, nowadays there are many discussions about magazines, you know, stopping their print publications and continuing with a digital vein. But it's also true that 90% of advertising in magazines still comes from the print edition. So we maintain that. The FLR, the Florentine Literary Review, was a, a magazine, a journal that we launched uh, a few years ago. It's on a little bit of a break at the moment, although we're about to come out with an anthology. We haven't actually announced that anywhere, so there you go. You you have a scoop. Uh, We're about to come out with an anthology of short stories and poems that have been published in that publication. The key thing about it is that it's bilingual, is that right? Yes, so it starts with the Italian. It was born with the premise that we want to give um, a platform to... Italy's contemporary writers you know because often in Italy almost 80% of of the books that are published in Italy come from other languages and are translated into Italian and there's not so much that goes the other way so we start with the Italian writings and we produce what I hope are are very high quality uh, translations into English so that you've got the side-by-side companion it's almost a reader And it was almost born with the idea of being like a reader for university students who are are approaching Italian, who who want to learn more about the language and its contemporary scene. So that's the FLR. And um, we also have a history of publishing all sorts of books based on columns uh, that have been published in the Florentine. We recently recently published a, a volume of poetry by a young writer, Harry Cochran, who, work, who works with us, and um, the Florence Duck Store, it was called, and uh, who launches a poetry book in the middle of a pandemic? That's the sort of mad antics that we get up to, isn't it? Right, Florence Duck Store, right, one to look out for. Thank you. And continuing that theme, you, you yourself, I think, wrote an article recently, didn't you, with Summer Reading Ideas, I think it was called, where you highlighted four, are they newish books or just books that you have enjoyed? 
Yeah, these are all new books that have come out about Florence. And we're clearly in a moment whereby people have been putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboards in recent mm-hmm. months. And we're, we're actually, I have a big pile on my desk right in front of me of new publications that have, have come out about Florence. So I mean, there's a variety of them. Sarah Winman's Still Life is a beautiful book set in post-war London and Florence that I would recommend to everybody. It's one of those books that uh, <laughs> you, you don't always get very high quality literature that comes out of Florence. Sarah's book is, is magnificent. The prose is fantastic and I would recommend it to anyway, anyone. It's kind of a, a modern day room with a view that you can read by a fountain in Florence or wherever you are in the world and be transported there. And then Ross King has recently come out with uh, one of his new books, um, the bookseller of Florence, uh, which is a fabulous read that I recommend. And there are a few other books that are coming out. Tom Benjamin, who's he's a British writer who's based in Bologna. He writes detective series based around the food scene in Bologna. So I'd recommend that it's wonderful summer reading. And there are lots more coming up. I've got here sat on my desk. Vanessa Nicholson's Angels of Mud, which of course is very timely when we go towards November and the anniversary of the uh, 1966 flood, which devastated most of Florence. So uh, I'll be digging into that before uh, before November. Right. Thank you. I think I've had lots of your time, actually. Can we just finish? I'm planning to do this with anyone I interview, just a few quick questions, because you're in Florence and we're not. And we just like a few little pointers from somebody in that happy position. So for example, if you have a visitor that's come to Florence for the first time, you're taking them out for the day. Where are you going to take them? Okay, I'm a, I'm a big lover of the libraries. So the Ricciadiana Library is absolutely beautiful. I recommend there. The Lorenziana, all of these, like the Oblati, all of them have wonderful histories, wonderful views. I also like to go and see the other Last Suppers. So Santo Poliano, which is an absolutely gorgeous fresco by Andrea del Castagno. There's never anybody in there, and it's just you with this Last Supper that's that's gloriously maintained. So I'd recommend that. And where is uh, it? So this fresco's in Santo Poliano. It's, it's heading along Via Cavour from the Duomo, and it's a beautiful refractory and, and quite quite an incredible experience being alone with a fresco like that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, thank you. And you personally then, you're not showing anyone around, you're just having some downtime in Florence. What are you going to do just for relaxation or for pleasure? I'm a big walker, you know, so I often, I actually live just outside Florence and get the train in. I like to get the train into Campo di Marte station, not necessarily Santa Maria Vella, and then walk Piazza Beccaria down along past Sant'Ambrogio Market and along into the city that way because that way you get to see some of the the residential neighborhoods of Florence you know and and I like to see the proper Florentines going about their daily business in terms of one museum that I like to go and see it's just a a bit anti-conformist in many ways but there's a, a beautiful contemporary art museum called Collezione Roberto Casamonti and it's full of modern and contemporary artworks near um, it's near the um, the Ferragamo museum and it's another one of those places where you're often alone with a, a Lucio Fontana or one of these incredible more modern Italian artworks so so there's somewhere that I love to I love to spend some time alone oh. looking at the artwork 
Thank you. And very last question. I always like to hear about food. So if you're out in a restaurant and you decide to have perhaps not foreign, but something actually Florentine, what, what would your favourite or what would a, a, something you could recommend that other people might enjoy? What would you go for? This is such a hard question <laughs> because it's also seasonal, you know, and it mm. very much depends on on the moment and everything else. I mean, I'm I'm quite classic in my taste in terms of I love a bowl of papa pomodoro in the summer and ribolita in the winter. There are so many places where I, I like to eat out and, and have these, you know, or even just a, a lampredotto with the, uh, you know, the, the tripe panino with a, a glass of, of rough red wine at times. You know, it depends on your taste in that moment. And I think that's what's so fantastic about life in Tuscany is that you never, you never stop learning about new new takes on old recipes, you know, because we have this incredible food culture, but it doesn't stay still either. You know, chefs are always tweaking old recipes. So that's something that, that I love, you know, going in and tasting old old recipes in new hands. Mm-hmm. Lots of meals out required there. I shall have to come and do some research, I think. Right. Let's just finish by making sure I will put this in the show notes at the end so people will have it to refer to. But do you want to just give me the Florentine website address so people can do their own research? Sure. It's www.theflorentine.net. That's only Italian. www.theflorentine.net. And subscriptions can be found slash subscription. So that covers all bases. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. And people can also sign up to our weekly newsletter. And that's on the website as well. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. So many things to unpack. And I thought, in fact, I might follow up by just doing exactly that. And I'd like to begin by talking a little bit more about the five books which Helen recommended. If you are a regular listener to City Breaks, you will know that one of the things I like to do is recommend books, often novels, but non-fiction too, which somehow deepen your understanding of the city that we're talking about. So I thought I'd run through these five ideas. First was Still Life by Sarah Winman. That's a novel, begins in Tuscany in 1944. The Allied troops are advancing, bombs are still falling and a young English soldier finds himself in the wine cellar of a deserted villa, where he meets, quite by chance, an art historian, who's come to Italy to try and salvage paintings from the ruins, but also, in fact, in a bid to stir up some long-forgotten memories from her own life. You probably recall Helen stressing how well she thought this book was written, and this was also stressed in the written review, where the entire novel was summed up as being, quote, a richly drawn celebration of beauty and love in all its forms. Another book which Helen recommended, The Bookseller of Florence by Ross King, is a completely different thing. It's a biography, the true story of one Vespasiano da Bistici, who was a bookshop owner in 15th century Florence, more or less forgotten today, but very well known in his own time, because the books that he sold were handmade works of art, really, copied by talented scribes and illustrated by the finest miniaturists working in Florence at the time. And as you know, that's quite saying something. So the book is about him and about all the people who used to gather in his shop, the manuscript hunters, the scribes and the scholars, and about the discussions they were having in those very exciting Renaissance times. And the review in this case sums up the book as being 
quote, a thrilling chronicle of intellectual ferment set against dramatic political and religious turmoil. If you enjoyed some of the stories I told in earlier episodes about other famous Florentines, the artists Giotto and Cimabue, for example, the sculptor Michelangelo, Galileo, Machiavelli, etc., then I think you would enjoy this book too. And then the third book that Helen mentioned was something completely different again, a detective novel called The Hunting Season by Tom Benjamin, which opens in truffle season in the hills around Bologna, because the hunt is on for the legendary Boscuri White, which is, I did not know this, the most precious truffle in the whole of Italian gastronomy. But things soon start to go wrong. An American super taster, truffle hunter, goes missing, and so a detective is called. One Daniel Lester from England, in fact. And the story unfolds from there. A classic detective novel, really, with a North Italian background. But with a relevance to current issues, too. For example, the immigrant kitchen staff working at Food City. So generally, then, a book that's going to take you into the northern Italy of today in an enjoyable way. Helen mentioned that next on her reading list is Angels of Mud by Vanessa Nicholson. It's a debut novel. It's based on something very real, namely the floods from 1966, which you'll know quite a lot about if you've already listened to, I think it was episode 5 of the original series. But if not, to summarise, the River Arno burst its banks, two-thirds of the city was submerged, over a hundred people drowned, and thousands of priceless artworks and precious books were ruined. It was covered, of course, in all the news bulletins of the day, but so was a follow-up story, that of the many, many hundreds of people, many of them young people, who rushed to Florence from all over the world to help, forming queues to pass rescued books along lines to the restorers who were going to see what they could do, and all because they felt that what had been lost was just too precious to let go if it could possibly be helped. These people were known as the, I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly, the Angeli del Fango, which means Angels of Mud. And Vanessa Nicholson's story is set against that backdrop, and she draws on her own Anglo-Italian background. In fact, I think it's an Anglo-Florentine background. So again, you're going to learn lots about the city from that. Just for a tiny flavour, here are a couple of sentences from it. Quote, the Duomo was like a large terracotta umbrella. It gave a focus, like the point of a painting, from which the eye can move around, but to which it constantly returns. I don't know about you, but I'm just picturing the Duomo as I hear those words. And the last book which Helen mentioned is the one with the very intriguing title, The Florence Duck Store. It consists of 23 poems inspired by Italy. Some of them have already been published in the Florentine, and the explanation given in the online review includes the fact that these poems were written in Florence, about Florence, or around Florence. Intriguing also is, as Helen said, the idea of publishing a poetry collection in a pandemic. And I was also drawn to the opening lines about the author, again from the online review. Quote, Having found himself in Florence suspiciously often, Harry Cochrane decided to settle as an Anglo-Florentine in 2018. You just know you're going to learn stuff about Florence from him, don't you? So much then for the books. This might be a good time to mention again the Florentine Review, the FLR, which you can buy on the website, just to stress the two aspects about it, which I think City Breaks listeners might find most interesting. The first is, it's a good chance to catch up with some current Italian literature, something not easy to do in English bookshops. 
I think each edition features something like half a dozen short stories chosen for their literary worth. But I do also think that if you're learning Italian and have already got some way into it and looking for what you can do next, this is an excellent idea. A dual language text, so accessible if you haven't got all that far with Italian yet, but also really of use to people whose Italian is pretty fluent, but who might just find themselves occasionally wanting to check the translation of a particular phrase or sentence. I did also want to just mention one or two other things from the website itself, articles that were published there, just to underline the idea that really if you're interested in Florence, or in Italy more generally, there's a wealth of stuff there that you can have a browse through, even if you haven't yet subscribed to the magazine. Currently, I'm talking in September 2021, things to be found in the Art and Culture section include something about the Dante 24-hour live reading that's just about to happen for Dante's 700th anniversary, Another piece about the reopening of the secret corridors in the Palazzo Vecchio. Episode 11 of the original City Break series on Florence was all about the Palazzo Vecchio, but I don't think I mentioned or indeed even knew anything about the secret corridors, so I made a beeline to read that piece. And then there was another piece about one Francesco Carletti, a 16th century Florentine, billed as, quote, Italy's first global travelling salesman. And there's a wonderful piece about all the adventures he had in, for example, February 1595, when they arrived in, quote, Nombre de Dios on the insect-infested coast of Panama. From there, they continued overland by mule train and native craft to the rich city of Los Reyes, now Lima in Peru, where they sold their merchandise in exchange for silver ingots. Fascinating. You'll never guess half the things he also got up to. Let me add just one more, the fact that he discovered cocoa somewhere on his travels and brought it back to Tuscany, where it had never before been seen. Then there's a completely different section, the food and wine section, with articles like, for instance, one on favourite pizza places in Florence, another on natural wine bars in Florence, and a piece which I really took to called A Very Early Morning at Pasticceria Bonamici. I do hope I've pronounced that correctly. And it's a write-up by a journalist who went to a bakery and wrote up all the things learnt and seen during the day. It starts like this. Quote, the day starts at 3.30am for the first roster of pastry chefs at Pasticceria Bonamici, one of Florence's best-loved artisanal bakeries. The first job is to turn on the oven and bake brioche, which had been proving overnight. The next shift come in at 4am and then the team take it in turns to deliver the morning's pastries to bars and cafes across Florence. Cremini, or custard-filled cornetti pastries, deep-fried frittelle sprinkled with sugar, and larger bombolone doughnuts. Meanwhile, it's time to knead the short crust and get on with preparing the day's cakes and biscotti, all before the bakery opens its doors to the public at 7am. And there's lots more to follow about things that happened for the rest of the day. I challenge you to read that and not one, almost think you're in Florence, and two, start imagining a wonderful array of Italian baked goodies floating past your eyes. Okay, so I hope I've given you a really useful insight into the Florentine and all it has to offer. There are lots of different ways for you to engage, be it browsing the website, signing up for the weekly newsletter, which is free, buying yourself a little treat from the online bookstore, or, of course, subscribing. 
and there will be a link in the show notes to remind you how to do that. I would like to thank Helen Farrell very much for the time that she spent being quizzed by me and giving us such thoughtful answers. Next week, I have another guest to introduce to you, namely Andrea Giordani from Feel Florence, which is Florence's official tourist website. In the first of two episodes, he's going to talk all about Florence, particularly Florence in Dante's time, and about some of the many, many events which have been put on this year in Florence to mark the 700th anniversary of the death of Italy's best-known writer, their Shakespeare really, Dante, author of The Divine Comedy. And then the following week, an absolute treat, because Andrea and I talked in a little bit more detail about Dante's very best-known work, The Divine Comedy, and the episode even includes him reading one or two very short extracts in the Italian original, and then, of course, with an English translation to follow. So then, all of that to look forward to. For today, though, thank you very much for listening, and I do hope you found some sort of inspiration somewhere in the episode. The message is definitely thank you and goodbye, but of course, it sounds much nicer in Italian. Grazie mille, arrivederci. <laughs>